Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of excellence, book for 15, chapter 4. Kutuzov diminishes the marches by keeping a distance to make sure he can take the shortest marches. Did you enjoy reading about this tactic, and was it a logical step for Kutuzov to take? Kara Kikar says, I'm just going to put this out there. War and Peace may be a masterpiece of writing, but it is a not... Ah, sorry, but a masterpiece of pacing, it is not. We were just starting to get back into the character drama, Natasha having all kinds of feelings and personal growth, and we're back to troop movements. Don't get me wrong, I'm a classic warfare enthusiast. I've gone down the rabbit holes examining the relative advantage of the Roman legion over the Macedonian phalanx, but these kinds of specifics come off as a pointed rebuttal to the contemporary discourse, and I'm not finding much to grab onto for myself. Free idea for anyone out there, somebody needs to write War and Peace good parts version, a la The Princess Bride. It's in the public domain. Good idea. FDLP once is in a slight twist, a hint of approval is cracking from Tolstoy in contrasting Kutuzov with the great man Napoleon. Yeah, Kutuzov can't help but just let his little bit of bias show for the Russian. Alright, quick game's a good game tonight. We're going to just move on. Read chapter 5, which goes like this. In 1812 and 1813, Kutuzov was openly accused of blundering. The emperor was dissatisfied with him, and in a history recently written by order of the highest authorities, it is said that Kutuzov was a cunning court liar, frightened of the name Napoleon, and that by his blunders at Krasnoe, and the Berezina, he deprived the Russian army of the glory of complete victory over the French. History of the year 1812, the character Kutuzov and reflections on the unsatisfactory result of the battles of Krasnoe by Bogdanovich. Such is the fate, not of great men, grands Holmes, when the Russian mind does not acknowledge, but of those rare and always solitary individuals who, discerning the will of providence, submit their personal will to it. The hatred and contempt of the crowd punish such men for discerning the higher laws. The Russian historians, strange and terrible to say, Napoleon, that most insignificant tool of history who never, anywhere, even in exile, showed human dignity, Napoleon is the object of adultation, sorry, adulation and enthusiasm. He is grand. But Kutuzov, the man who, from the beginning of the end of his activity in 1812, never once swerving by word or deed from Borodino to Vilna, presented an example exceptional in history of self-sacrifice and a present consciousness of the future importance of what was happening. Kutuzov seems to them something indefinite and pitiful, and when speaking of him and of the year 1812, they always seem a little ashamed. And yet... It is difficult to imagine an historical character whose activity was so unswervingly direct to a single aim, and it would be difficult to imagine any aim more worthy or more consonant with the will of the whole people. Still more difficult would it be to find an instance in history of the aim of an historical personage being so completely accomplished as as that to which all Kutuzov's efforts were directed in 1812. Kutuzov never talked of 40 centuries looking down from the pyramids, of the sacrifices he offered for the fatherland, or of what he intended to accomplish or had accomplished. In general, he said nothing about himself, adopted no pose, always appeared to be the simplest and most ordinary of men, and said the simplest and most ordinary things. 
He wrote letters to his daughters and to Madame de Stael, read novels, liked the society of pretty women, jested with generals, officers and soldiers, and never contradicted those who tried to prove anything to him. When Count Rostopchin at the Yauza Bridge galloped up to Kutuzov with personal reproaches for having caused the destruction of Moscow, and said how was it you promised not to abandon Moscow without a battle, Kutuzov replied, and I shall not abandon Moscow without a battle, though Moscow was then already abandoned. When Arakchev, coming to him from the Emperor, said to Ermolov ought to be appointed chief of the artillery, Kutuzov replied, yes, I was just saying so myself, though a moment before he had said quite the contrary. What did it matter to him, who then alone, amid a senseless crowd, understood the whole tremendous significance of what was happening? What did it matter to him whether Rostopchin attributed the calamities of Moscow to him or to himself. Still less could it matter to him who was appointed chief of the artillery. Not merely in these cases, but continually did that old man, who by experience of life had reached the conviction that thoughts and words serving as their expression are not what move people, use quite meaningless words that have happened to enter his head. But that man, so heedless of his words, did not once during the whole time of his activity utter one word inconsistent with the single aim toward which he moved throughout the whole war. Obviously, in spite of himself, in very diverse circumstances, he repeatedly expressed his real thoughts with the bitter conviction that he would not be understood. Beginning with the Battle of Borodino, from which time his disagreement with those about him began, he alone said that the Battle of Borodino was a victory, and repeated this both verbally and in his dispatches and reports up to the time of his death. He alone said that the loss of Moscow is not the loss of Russia. In reply to Lauriston's proposal of peace, he said, There can be no peace, for such is the people's will. He alone, during the retreat of the French, said that all our manoeuvres are useless, everything is being accomplished of itself better than we could desire, that the enemy must be offered a golden bridge, that neither the Tarotino, the Viasma, nor the Krasnoe battles were necessary, that we must keep some force to reach the frontier with, and that he would not sacrifice a single Russian or for ten Frenchmen. And this courtier, as he is so described to us, who lies to Arakchev to please the emperor, he alone, incurring thereby the emperor's displeasure, said in Vilna that to carry the war beyond the frontier is useless and harmful, nor do words alone prove that only he understood the meaning of the events. His actions, without the smallest deviation, were all directed to one and the same threefold end. One, to brace all his strength for con conflict with the French, two, to defeat them, and three, to drive them out of Russia, minimizing as far as possible the sufferings of our people and of our army. This procrastinator Kutuzov, whose motto was patience and time, this enemy of decisive action, gave battle at Borodino, investing the preparations for it with unparalleled solemnity. This Kutuzov, who before the Battle of Austerlitz began, said that it would be lost. He alone, in contradiction to everyone else, declared till his death that Borodino was a victory, despite the assurance of generals that the battle was lost, and despite the fact that for an army to have to retire after winning a battle was unprecedented. He alone, during the whole retreat, insisted that battles, which were useless then, should not be fought, and that a new war should not be begun, nor the frontiers of Russia crossed. It's easy now to understand the significance of those events, if only we abstain from attributing to the activity of the mass 
aims that existed only in the heads of a dozen individuals. For the events and results now lie before us. But how did that old man alone in opposition to the general opinion so truly discern the importance of the people's view of the events that in all his activity he was never once untrue to it? The source of that extraordinary power of penetrating the meaning of the events then occurring lay in the national feeling which he possessed in full purity and strength. Only the recognition of the fact that he possessed this feeling caused the people, in so strange a manner, contrary to the Tsar's wish, to select him, an old man, in disfavour to be their representative in the national war. And only that feeling placed him on the highest human pedestal from which he, the commander-in-chief, devoted all his powers not to slaying and destroying men, but to saving and showing pity to them. That simple, modest, and therefore truly great figure could not be cast in the false mould of a European hero, the supposed ruler of men that history has invented. To a lackey no man can be great, for a lackey has his own conception of greatness. Alright, there we go, another chapter down, another plotless chapter behind us. Nothing much changed, just more ranting and raving about Kutuzov. Alright, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.